Quit eating cupcakes the wrong way. Once you've taken off the wrapper, rip the cake part in half and turn the top part upside down. Now smash together and enjoy. If you have broken glass somewhere, begin by sweeping up the large pieces. Then take a piece of bread and rub it across the same area. Pores in the bread will get rid of all of the tiny shards. Note, make sure that you do not put the bread back into the loaf. You know, I don't know about the, the piece of bread. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm iffy on that one. But the cupcakes? Come on. You ever have those moments like, some of you, you don't even care about the sermon now. You're just like, the next time, in fact, let's go have cupcakes. Uh, I, we're, we're in a series talking about life hacks. There's things that you may not be practicing right now that if you were, if you were to practice these life hacks, you would start doing life better, more efficiently in some cases, but maybe just healthier. Maybe, maybe if you started applying them, your relationships would get better. Maybe, maybe even your relationship specifically with God. And so we started off a brand new series called Life Hacks. Every location, High East and West and fellows at RCMU. In fact, I feel like I should say, and everyone camping in the Black Hills. Uh, that seems to be a new location. Uh, so so uh, we've all been in this. The first week we talked about the life hack of how to have integrity. If integrity were easy, all of us would have it, right? But we've got friends, family members, and maybe you are one who doesn't have it as strong as you should. So this week I'm going to go at something that uh, was written in the Bible, of course, but it really got me as I was reading it. And in fact, the writer of what I'm going to share with you, his name is Paul. He started many churches. Uh, he started many churches. In fact, some say 14, some say 20, but just, this just land on many. Uh, he started many churches, and, and those many churches, he would start them and leave, and they didn't have social media. I know that shocks you. And, and <clears throat> so a way to kind of converse with them was to send them letters. And if you don't know this about the New Testament, a good portion of the New Testament are letters. Letters written to churches that still apply today. And he wrote something that messes with me thoroughly, and I thought I would share it with you so that it messes with you as well. Let me show it to you. Uh, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Now, here's where it started to kind of really mess with me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. You know, sometimes I read fast when I read through the Bible because I don't want to know what it says. There's some, oh, come on, am I the only one? You're like, let's just read it. Yeah, it's a neat story. Let's go on. Let's go, let's go, whatever. But sometimes when you stop and you hear, you hear this, learn to be content with whatever I have. I mean, don't answer out loud, but I wonder, have you learned to be content with whatever you have or let me help you or don't have? For those of you who think life will finally be complete if dot, 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 fill in the blank, uh, this is the sermon for you. Here's why. We live in a time full of discontentment. I think we all can admit this. Maybe this is confession time. We live in a time where often what we have is not enough. 
And this is reminded of me every day because I'm raising children. We have three in our home, four if you count the dog. And trust me, okay? So our youngest, Titus, four years old. It doesn't matter where you are in our house, maybe even if you're outside. You'll start to hear if a TV or even the radio is on, you'll hear, I want that. In fact, it's now become a little bit of a joke amongst the whole family that everyone gives the patent response, we know you do. Because it does, sometimes it's the Flex Seal commercial where he wants to work on the gutters. I'm like, well, okay, maybe, you, maybe if you're willing to do that, then. But Titus, four years old, constantly, I want that. I, and we just know. It doesn't make, it's not exclusive to a specific genre. It's not just Transformers. It's not just Legos. It's whatever someone is offering. I want that. And in fact, it's not just exclusive to uh, commercials and TV. Uh, just so you know, if you ever walk through a store and you hear a child screaming, it's probably one of mine. Because <laughs> we as parents have decided that our children are not going to be the ones that determine what we purchase at every store we go to. And so we do say no in a store, and if you see it, we'll enjoy the entertainment. Because what we've learned is, is that most of us, not just in childhood, live in this, well, what I call the constant stage of want. It's constant. And it's not relegated to just toys. So those of you who are like, I'm, I'm out of that phase. No, you're not. See, when you grow up, it changes what you want. Okay, that changes. But many of us, we are not content with life because we're single and we want to be married. And so all of life is horrible until we're married. Or it's the job, or the money, or school, or grades. Oh, it's all over the place. The older you get, oh, it gets, it gets creative. And many of us, come on, many of us are living in this constant, that's the word, constant stage of want. And I got to tell you, that's going to destroy you. Because if you haven't learned this enough, <laughs> you'll get maybe what you want. And then a new want shows up at your door. And you start to want the accessories to whatever you wanted. And see, many of us now, we just, we don't even know what to do with this. So here's the life hack. Here's what we're going to talk about. How to be content with what you have. We talked about integrity. That was necessary. But, oh, do we need to have a conversation? Because many of us cannot say that we've learned how to be content with what we have. In fact, someone was like, I thought that was for past generations. They did so well with it. We don't have to. Uh, no, no. If you are not content, here's what I know about you. You have stress, anxiety, worry, and a constant need that you don't know how to satisfy. And that's not good. Now, Paul, remember, he wrote this letter, and he's like, hey, everybody, I've learned to be content. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, no, no, he doesn't do that. It's not, it's not like, hey, guess, guess what? I'm the mature one. No. And in fact, he walks it even further for us. I want to show you his words. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Okay. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. So many of us like, oh, because he lived poor his whole life. No, no. He had a lot and he had a little depending on the season. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty with plenty 
or little. Here's what I think, and I believe this with all my heart. You want to be able to say this. I do too. You want to be able to not just say this, but to teach this to the people around you. Uh, if, if you're a boss, please listen. Wouldn't you love it if you're, if you're employees? Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're a parent, come on. You're like, please teach, David, teach. Uh, if you're married, this applies. I'm telling you, whoever you are, at school, it doesn't matter. We want this. We want to be people who are content. But many of us don't know what contentment is because we're in South Dakota. Come on. Some of you are nervous. You're like, is this a how to be lazy sermon? Because contentment, you're like, so we just stop. We're just good with what we've got no matter what. Get rid of everything. No, 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 no. So let me help you understand contentment even further. Contentment refuses. It's a refusal to be consumed. Key on the words. A refusal to be consumed by lots or little while never settling for lazy. Let's talk about this. Consumed. Contentment refuses to be consumed by lots. Meaning, you must have everything. I want that. I want that. I want that. I want that. And you get it. And you put yourself in a good level of debt to get it. And, and you put yourself in a, in a lot of bad relationship situations to get it. To where you find yourself constantly striving for where you don't even think it's not fulfilling, but you're just striving. Many of us are consumed by lots. Some of us are consumed by little. All we can know and think about is the scarcity of what we don't have. Life is so unfair. I am a victim. Many of us live there where your stories to other people are about what you don't have and how your life is not fair. Your life somehow just gets spit on or you get denied constantly and you are consumed, consumed with what you don't have. And contentment refuses to be consumed by those while also saying, I'm not going to be lazy. See, some of us are scared to have this conversation. We're like, if it's not about how little or how much I have, oh, no, we're going to settle. No, 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 no. Let's go further. Contentment is not abandoning your ambition. We need more people to dream. We need more people to not be satisfied with status quo. We need more businesses to call people back. Write that down. We need, we need businesses to care about their customer. We need churches to care about people who aren't in the church. We need people to care about other people who don't agree on things. We cannot let our dreams die because we don't have or we don't care. I would tell you, I think one of the lessons that Jesus himself would stand on this stage and say is have ambition. Have dreams and visions and goals and, and press forward. Contentment is not a license to be lazy. And we should know that and own that. So let's go further with contentment. Contentment means you don't need more in order to be happy. It means that what you've got may not be the best that you want to land at, but you're still happy. It means that if you don't have very much and you're just struggling, you can still be happy. And I, I'd, like to, I'd like to have a little soapbox moment right now. Not literally, but let's talk about something. Sometimes many of us, some of us, we've grown up in the church. We're like, oh, David, I'm a Christian. <laughs> I'm not allowed to be happy. 
David, it's, it's only joy that we may have. I would disagree. If you were to read the original language, the word happy is all over the Bible. Oftentimes when it said blessed or blessed, it was talking about be happy. Now don't compromise your relationship with God or your morals. But happy is not something God is against. Do you just need a second with that? See, see, what I'm telling you is it's okay to be happy and it's best if you're happy no matter what's going on around you. And Paul, Paul who starts these churches and writes these letters that mess with you and I, I've learned to be content in everything. Well, that sounds neat and irrational and, and impossible. So, so Paul, how'd you get there? I mean, if you're just, I mean, let's have that conversation for a little bit. How in the world does it, was it does a guy who's like writing and, and he's, I mean, it's going in the Bible. How, is he just bragging? No, he's not bragging. No, he's not just saying, hey, look at me. Or it's not just something that was available way back in Bible times. He actually revealed his secret. It's not a secret. And he kept writing, which is good for you and I, in Philippians, for I can do everything through Christ. If you're not sure how to understand this, for I can do everything in any circumstance, no matter if I got a full stomach or an empty one, if the bank account is blowing up or there's nothing in it, if things are breaking or falling apart, or if you're getting blessed all over the place, for I can do everything. For I can be content through Christ. Jesus, who gives me strength. See, what he tells you and I is, you want to be content? You want to be able to have a storm in your life and it be going miserable? And you want to be having an incredible time in your life and be like, oh, that's so awesome. If you want to be content no matter what, if you be one of the, want to be one of those people who are constant, then you've got to lean into Jesus. That's what Paul says. And I agree with him. He says, Jesus, Jesus, he, he's the source of strength. He's the way to be content. Now, so that raises another question. Okay, if Paul says that Jesus is the way to be content, what did Jesus say about contentment? How did uh, he get there? I'm glad you asked. Let me show you what Jesus taught. Jesus, Jesus brings this up. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. Now, now, Jesus was teaching, and it was even in the context of talking about, like, what you have and what you don't have and money and resources. And he was talking about where most of us are discontent. But this applies to everything. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. If you want to be content, listen up. If you don't want to be, tune me out and do whatever you want to. But if you want to be content, if you want peace in your life and joy that does not get determined by your circumstances, then seek the kingdom of God above everything else. Now, some of us are brand new to this, and you're like, seek the kingdom of God? Like, is being a Christian like an expedition? Where do we go? I want, no, seek the kingdom of God. Let me give you some, some basic understanding. Seek the kingdom of God. It means to make God's desires your priority. That's what he's saying. If you want to be content, Make God's desires your priority first. Make God's desires, make what God wants first. It doesn't say you have to be perfect for those of you who are like, oh, no, no. You don't have to be perfect. But it says make God's 
priorities. Make your relationship with God first. So you and I get, see, someone's like, make God first? <sighs> Not sure I can do that. Yeah, you can. Let's go back in history for a little bit. Some of you, when you met your significant other, it was not a problem to make them first. In fact, you had other stuff going on in your life. Very important things like video games and hanging out with the boys. <laughs> See, some of us got an amen there. Just I want everyone to catch all that. Uh, so, so listen, you have no problem if you want making something priority. But you got to want to. You got to, like, so when you start to, let's call it fall in love, everything else gets canceled. You don't even hear it anymore. Uh, okay, non-romantic. That's just your first job. You start your job off and you're like, you're all in. It doesn't matter. You, with school, is the same way. You, you just thrust yourself into it. Even a friendship, you just start to be like, oh, this is so awesome. And, and you, you make it a priority. You don't have a problem doing that. No one has to, a pastor doesn't have to say, hey, you need to make sure. No, you just get it. You just do it. But many of us don't keep it a priority. It just becomes an intention that never gets, well, just lived out. And here's what you need to know. What we make priority is priority. It's basic but profound. What we make priority is, it's not an intention. And so my question for you is if you are not content, if you lack that, well, about a myriad of different things, but if you are not content, perhaps your priorities are not in the best of order. In fact, I want to take this further. As I was prepping for this and thinking about Paul's words where he's learned to be content in everything as long as he leans into Jesus and uses Jesus' strength. Okay, and then Jesus says, all right, all right, make the kingdom of God your number one priority. Well, what are the areas that you and I have a tendency to be out of whack on? What are the areas that you and I, if we just had to make a list, the areas that we are not very content on? In fact, I'll tell you some of them that, that I just conversations, my own personal experiences. I, I'm telling you, there's a few that I think a majority of us are going, okay, we need to talk about that. The first one being marriage. The amount of married people that I know who are discontent in their marriage is alarming. You know, we as a church have talked about divorce statistics and how they're misrepresented. But what I can tell you that's not misrepresented, there's a ton of married people who are not content. What used to be no longer is. What used to be on fire now is just nothing. You are uh, roommates, as some say. Some use terminology, you've grown apart, uh, you're two different people, whatever it is. But many, many folks have said, they were not out loud, but your marriage has become a source of discontentment. They aren't who they used to be, or they didn't become who you thought they might become. Or maybe you're the problem, or maybe life is the problem. Maybe the job changed, or things changed, and you've got this source of discontentment. And can I just pick on one part of it? <laughs> the answer is yes, because I'm preaching. There are many married people who think the discontentment, the source of discontentment in their marriage is time. Time changed. You, you added uh, minions to, to the party and, 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 and jobs, 
and, and responsibilities. And, and many people blame, blame time. They, they literally, no joke, blame time as the reason that there is no longer contentment in the relationship. I'd like to spend some time arguing that. I want to bring you, though, to what marriage is supposed to look like. 1 Corinthians gives us a great glimpse. Love never gives up. Never loses faith. Is always hopeful. And then, yeah, I wanted to highlight this. And endures through every circumstance. Now, for those of you who are not going, mm-mm. Well, it's because this kind of love isn't what you experienced. So let me help you understand what this kind of love is. It's called agape love. Agape love means unconquerable benevolence. That's how this is able to be said. Unconquerable benevolence. Unconquerable desire to do good for each other. Unconquerable desire to do good for that person. That's why I've shared this many times because it's so important that when you get married, and for those of you considering marriage, listen up. When you are saying vows to that person and you're like, yeah, richer or poor or sicker, whatever, you are saying to that person, I have an unconquerable desire to do good for you. And that's my promise to this. If you lack contentment in your relationship, maybe it's not a time issue. Maybe it's an effort issue. I will step off your toes and come back a little bit. Can I give you an example? Yeah, I can. Here's how this works. See, see, I, 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 know, of, I know of at least one. There's multiple, I know that. But I, I know specifically I'm thinking about one couple in our church. Here's the problem. They're not living together right now. Not because they're mad at each other. One of them is deployed. If you've ever been a part of a family where one of the people in the family is deployed, you know it's not an easy time. Especially if there's lots of responsibilities. And there's a couple in our church, one of them is deployed. But they're able, nowadays especially, able to communicate with each other. The problem is that if, if not intentional, if, if, you, if they don't pay attention, that their conversation is going to be all about the bad going on in their individual lives. If you've never been a part of a deployed family or know what happens, oftentimes the phone calls or or the messages that get passed back and forth are, this is going wrong, here's what's not going the way I want it to. And and, and this person's like, well, I can't share everything with you that's going on. Just know it's not wonderful. And there becomes this, it's just not a fulfilling conversation anymore. And the marriage, distance physically, becomes a marriage with emotional distance to it. Unless, unless you have an unconquerable benevolence, an unconquerable desire to do good for each other. And if you, if you refuse, that's the unconquerable part. If you refuse to let discontentment come into your home, you do something about it. And here, this is what this couple did. They listened to the sermon, the sermon, every week. You're like, really? Yeah, they do. Not necessarily at the same time. So when they talk, yes, there's problems to communicate. But there's also, hey, what did God tell you in the midst of that sermon? Let me tell you what he he talked to me about. And they begin to have a shared experience thousands of miles apart from each other. 
That's called unconquerable benevolence. It's called a refusal to let discontentment gain any ground. So that's why I tell you, your issue is not time. It's effort. I'll step off and we'll move on. Uh, Here's another area of maybe uh, discontentment. The (laughs) J-O-B. I mean, come on. Nowadays, nowadays people switch jobs like when the weather changes. And in Rapid City, that's a problem. See, because what I'm telling you is there was an era, if you don't know this, I, mean, I talked to, it about, to my, my grandparents. You know, like they kept jobs for, for decades. Now we're like, I mean, it's been three weeks and I'm not paid what I should get paid. It's been two months and uh, my boss just really hasn't praised me enough. It's been three months and I'm just, you know, not feeling it today. See, there's a danger in many of us where your job will bring to you a delivery called discontentment, where your boss will not be the dream boss. <laughs> your coworkers, some of them will be jerks. The job will not be as exciting as you thought it might be years ago or while in school. See, I would say a lot of people deal with discontentment in their jobs. Like, what do I do? It's not ideal. It's not great. And, and I'll give you, I'll give you some, some rope here, okay? Uh, so, some, you're, you're working in a toxic environment. <laughs> you're working in an environment where your boss is, is flat out mean. Some of you work with people equally as mean. Some of you are so underpaid, it's, it's, it's shameful. Some of you have realized that in your job, it's not what you want to do for the rest of your life. So my... My, what I want to pass on to you is, no matter if your job is great or bad, it still requires the same approach when you're talking about contentment and discontentment. The same approach. So some of you, you do need to look for a different job. Now, now this is, let me give you some, this is not in the notes, but you just, for those of you who are going to look for another job, do not quit tomorrow. Because then you're going to be like, oh no, I don't have money coming in. And they're not going to pay me for another two weeks or a month. So my suggestion is no emotional decisions on quitting. But whether you have an awesome job or one that's not, what do you do with it regarding contentment? I'll show it to you. Colossians, work willingly at whatever you do. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. You're like, well, how do I work for the Lord When my boss is words I can't say in church. You serve them. You treat them with the love that they do not deserve. You do not speak back out of emotion. You speak back out of love. You honor them no matter if they deserve the honor or not. You show up early You do your job as best as you possibly can because it doesn't matter who your boss is if you're serving the Lord, whatever you're doing. Rather than for people, remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as a reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. You want to be content? (laughs) Bypass your boss and start serving the Lord no matter what you're doing. 
Now, before I share with you the last one, just a warning. Some of you are about to get greatly offended if you haven't already been. And in fact, uh, this will be the last time you ever hear me preach, uh, and you'll find another place. And the reason is, is because what I'm about to share with you is perhaps the most epic number one level of discontent, issue category of discontent that any of us face. And in fact, it's got so much discontentment trenched into it, it has become a place of offense that many people take. So what I will tell you is I'm not about to offend you, but some of you will take offense. Perhaps because you're not content. Some of you already guessed, you already know. Money. Money is the area that for many of us, we lack the greatest amount of contentment. We never have enough. We hate it when other people talk about giving this or that. And we just constantly are consumed by the idea of money and resources, what we have, what we don't have. And it is just <sighs> depleting. And if you're willing to have the conversation, if you're mature enough to have a conversation not just about marriage and the job, let's talk about money. If you want to be content with money, we need to talk about ownership. Because many of us are discontent with money because we think it's ours. You're discontent with your car because you think it's yours. You think your house is yours. You think what you... Own is your, no, you don't own a single thing, neither do I, it's great. Let me show you, the Bible says this, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Yes, that's a good thing just so you know, because if, if it's yours, you're entirely responsible for it. That means you're your provider and you don't want to be. Because we live in a world that's pretty tumultuous. Economy changes. Jobs change. If you're not content, perhaps you think you own what you think you own. And you don't own it. <laughs> so let me talk you further into this. Not only do you not own it. Ecclesiastes tells us we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed. Or naked, if you're from the South. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. I grew up a, a large season of my life in Indiana, so let me do some Indiana speak. It ain't yours, and you ain't taking it with you. And that's good news. <laughs> that means that we can move from the topic of ownership to the topic of faithfulness. If you want to be content with money, you accept that God owns everything. Everything. Your mower, your kitchen table, your car, and every dollar you think you're, it's God's. And every one of us has an example of God taking it away from someone. It's God's. And so our conversation goes from ownership to faithfulness. And our faithfulness with money determines our contentment with money. And it's not yours and you're not taking it with you. 
So what in the world do you do with it? You steward it well. You manage it well. You've heard this from Dave Ramsey, Joe Sangle, and maybe even your grandma. You need to save some money, and you need to live underneath your means. But the Bible preaches one important fact that you always do first. You return to God a portion of what is already his. And that is the breakdown of contentment for many of us. Because we argue God on this point. We're like, um, you gave me some, but then you want some back. I need that. And he addresses it all throughout the whole Bible, by the way. Uh, from the very beginning, the first murder was about what we give to God, just so you know if you want to know how contentious it is. And then eventually God makes a law out of it because no, people were just struggling with it. And then Jesus comes and fulfills the law, and it's no longer really this law, but it's a principle of blessing from God. So it's from the beginning to the end. Some people tell you it's just Old Testament. No, they just don't know their Bible. Jesus said you should give. Let me show you just in the middle of the Bible. Should people cheat God? Yeah, you have cheated me, but, but yes. What do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? Talking about God. You have cheated me of the tithes. If you're new to this, that means 10% of your income you've not given to God and offerings in addition to the 10% due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. If you don't know what the storehouse is, it explains it. So there will be enough food in my temple, my church. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, as in big hitter, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. In other words, I dare you to apply this. Now, why would God have to say, I dare you? Why would he have to say, test me on this? Because I believe what I've seen in life is this is the number one level of discontentment in our lives. That's why some of you hate this sermon or are offended by this sermon. I don't want your money, but I do want you giving it to God because it's his. But many of us are like, Dave, 10% of my income? And you're like, I can't do that. You've got expenses, obligations, You've already put yourself in a place where you're not sure you could ever do that. And I have to confess to you, I was not as sensitive to that as I should have been as pastor of this church for the past nine years. God's best for you is tithing. I'm just gonna tell you right now, that's his best. The Bible tells you that if you give God one-tenth of your income, that he will protect what you are in possession of, what you manage. He'll literally protect your stinking washing machine and dryer. And if you don't believe me, trust me, we got stories. But I know many of you are like, David, I can't. Okay. Recently, God brought something up to me that I want to pass on to you. There was a conversation between Jesus and Peter, one of his disciples. Jesus says to Peter, hey, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, I love you. Then Jesus says, hey, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Then Jesus says, hey, do you love me? Yeah, I love you. And I'm wondering if Peter's going like, um, how many times are you going to ask that? I mean, if you read it in English in your Bible, 
You're like, that's weird. Why? What just happened? Well, a guy like me likes to dig into the original language. I'll tell you what the original language says in English, though. Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you sacrificially agape me? Peter's like, I love you like, like a brother or, or a friend. Jesus is like, do you sacrificially agape, unconquerable benevolence? Will you do anything kind of love for me? And Peter's like, like a, like a friend? And then Jesus says, Peter, do you love me like a friend? Peter's like, yes, I do. And what I've learned is Jesus, although his best for Peter was sacrificial agape love, Peter was unwilling to go there. Now, later on, he does. If you don't know this about Peter, uh, he lost his life for Jesus. So what Jesus did is he goes, then I will make a step toward you. So for those of you who, when I talk to you about tithing, you're like, not my, no, I can't. We as a church want to make a step toward you. I do believe tithing is God's best and what you should shoot for. But if you're unwilling, I want to introduce you to what we call generosity rock star. Now, if you don't want to be a rock star, I don't even know you. Come on. As kids, we dreamt of it. I want to offer to you this. We want to make a step toward you. You can be a generosity rock star. You can take a next step by doing this. To be a generosity rock star, part of our church like this, $20 a week, you return to God, the church. $20 a week, every week, you just set it up online, reoccurring. You predetermine your commitment. And I believe that when you love God like a friend, that God can do more in your life later. And I'm going to make a step toward you. Some of you are your tithers, or, and some of you give way more than that. You return to God, and you're like, What? I'm telling you, we've got to start doing this as a church. And we're going to try to meet you where you're at. So let's go back to where we started. Luke 12, 31. This is what God wants for us all. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. If that means 20 bucks a week, if that means treating your spouse differently, working for the Lord instead of your boss. Put God's priorities first. And if you do, he will give you everything you need. So what's your next step? Let me help. If God is going to be priority over everything,
is the root of a whole lot of nasty. Over half, I want you to hear this, over half of our church returns to God zero every year. Perhaps you're discontent. strive every day. 